607 on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder, the AM Revolution. It's Friday Night News Underground. I'm Joe Paris, joined by Liam Kilmer and Jared Brouch, who I really hope this becomes our sem- like our regular core group for the summer because this is this is solid. Yeah, it's a good team. Good team here. A veteran group here. No rookies. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sometimes during the school year we have new kids on and some of the listeners at home get annoyed because, you know, they got to practice to get better but you got a real vet group here today liam actually i should have talked about this on wednesday show liam used to have his own new show yeah. on this station we did talk about it pretty briefly but uh yeah it was an international news show called freshly pressed that we had pretty late on at night and we just take one issue and then take news audio and kind of make it into an hour-long collage of the news and then we talk about it and then we'd have a debate so it was a pretty crazy crazy very difficult to produce show so that's kind of why it ultimately fell apart because it would take six hours and you have to produce it that day because there's always a news story on monday which is when it was so yeah it was crazy do you remember uh the program we had on for one semester sophomore my sophomore year so i guess that would have been not this past year but two years ago called inside the issue i I do not i think i was in spain at that point Oh, you probably okay well we had for one semester i think it was first semester of 2000 14 it was my sophomore year which doesn't really mean anything to anyone at home (laughs) um we had it was right after news underground on wednesdays um someone gave up their spot right before uh the semester started and mikey who's a general manager here said you you know do you want to just do a specialty news program following news underground and at first i was like yeah this is a great idea but the same problem you had is Oh, we had the greatest theme music ever. We took, I just stole the music from Meet the Press. <laughs> and man, if I, st- I still have show notes. It was myself, Allison Burke, and Morgan Boydston. Both of them actually just both, uh, they just graduated. Morgan's going to be working as a news anchor in Texas. So she's off doing great things. But that show was, that was a headache to produce. Yeah. It was hard. I mean, you, you really understand why a lot of news programs don't go deep into it. But it was frustrating because we'd talk about a story that like CNN would give one line to literally one sentence so we'd have to break down that sentence and then go into like history so there was a lot there was a lot of research but it was cool we learned a lot so I think inside the issue could be a really good program I just do not have the time to produce a fourth and fifth show yeah so if someone wants to come produce it um, what we did really we just cherry picked the hottest topics that were going on we talked about like bullying marijuana sexual assault all like the easy things to generate conversation with and like that was the most phone calls I've ever gotten yeah. ever. I mean, phones were blowing up, emails was blowing up because everyone's got a side. Yeah, and when you have when you give people time to engage with this subject too, which um, it's always the balance in news, and you want to expand, but you also want to get all the information out there. So um, people really do appreciate the few times in, in in the news and in the media when when that does happen, and you see that response, like you said, in phone calls and things like that. And that's what we talked about after Wednesday show, talking about how we didn't crush through all the headlines, but we developed conversations. And then I went home and talked with a few people that are listening to that show, and they said you know they really like that style, so that's what we're going to stick with. Um, so we'll see how much we get to. Um, we will get to the FIFA conversation after we get through the local news. There is some interesting local news, actually, today, including um, stacking rocks in the river. Yeah. Jared found a, <laughs> found a gem this afternoon. He, he forwarded me an article that we'll definitely get to. But, um, again, the, the weather continues to be bizarre. And speaking of bizarre, before we launch into the show, um, I was in the Apple Store today, and... Uh, 
I went in to go get a new MacBook charger because it stopped working. And I walk in and try to get my appointment. And they're like, all right, cool. And they plug me into the system. And this guy is so condescending with his his really hip facial hair and his, his culty t-shirt and his little ipad why do they have to use ipads like to be honest like the guy using an ipad to try and check me in it took him longer than it would have just to write it down and they're like all right we're we're gonna text you to to your apple id when your appointment's ready but like hang out here and i stood in there for an hour you can only spend so much time in the apple store before you just want to go live in the woods and never see anything electronic again (laughs) and then the guy's like well you're gonna have to come back tomorrow yeah so i'm going tomorrow Make sure you keep your old one. I um, I think I can fix it because I fixed a few. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that would be but fantastic. It might, it might take a couple days at least here. I, I don't have. I might have to have my dad send me out a soldering iron or something. We got one but, here. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, yeah Colton's so, got yeah. one in his office. Yeah. Oh, okay. I then, soldered yeah. a light once. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was doing. And it was one of those things. Where I was like, yeah, I'll just look it up on YouTube. Don't try and solder something <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay. Right. But um, yeah, it was not. But good. yeah, it won't look pretty. But I can. You might be able to find someone else that can do it nicer, but I'll just have electrical tape around it. And That'd be all right. If I don't get my way tomorrow, Jared, yeah. we'll have a call. Okay, okay, sounds good. I had this problem before, and I took the charger to uh, the Mac repair store across the street, and they, they said they'd do it for $90. I was yeah. like, you get it for $90? Yeah. <laughs> God, luckily I had a, a spare. I only charge 85, so. Okay, well, uh, yeah, that's good. I'll bring the, and, and I have to bring the electrical take myself. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so anyway. I get to keep the rest of the roll that I don't use. That's fine. When I was in Los Angeles working on a uh, the college lacrosse production, electrical tape was like gold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I just by accident had a roll of it in my backpack. Man, I was popular with the production crew. They're like, hey, you still got that electrical tape? Yeah, sure. Do you need some? Like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great, dude. Anyways, uh, weather to this afternoon's weather was just such a headache. I sat by the glass door in my house, just watched it, and in a forty-five minute span, it went from sunny to raining to hailing to sunny to cloudy to sunny, and it's like, what is going on here? Right now, though, it is 55 degrees Fahrenheit in Boulder. There are thunderstorms in the vicinity of Boulder County. So if you are uh, planning on going outside and maybe going for a walk while you listen to our program on your iPhone app, um, go quickly because it looks like storms are imminent. Um, And into tonight, we're going to have uh, showers late into the uh, evening, into the early morning of tomorrow. But Saturday looks good. Uh, It's going to be mostly sunny all day with a high near 75. A little bit of wind in the afternoon, but it looks like we're not expecting any precipitation tomorrow, so that's good. Um, Same with Sunday. Uh, Throughout the day on Sunday, it's going to be in the 80s, a little bit of wind, but it should be really nice. And until... I guess late Sunday, well, 8 or 9, that is late for me because my bedtime is 8.30. Um, we won't see rain until about 8.30, 9 o'clock on Sunday night. So that's nice. So the weekend is looking good. And then uh, looking into the future cast on Monday and Tuesday, looks like Monday is going to be more of the same, thunderstorms throughout the day. And it actually looks like Tuesday uh, may be clear. So if you're trying to find a day to go hiking, which I it took me, honestly, a week and a half to get a day that worked and, you know, wasn't going to rain. So, um Tuesday's your day. And I would recommend El Dorado Canyon State Park. It costs $8 to go in, but it's awesome. And if you don't even want to hike, you can just go watch people rock climb, and that, that's pretty entertaining. So, so that's that. On to the local news. All righty. 
here's a story that we might dwell on for a while. So um, listen carefully and think about, you know, if you want to be part of this conversation. And this is coming from Longmont, but this has actually been a national headline throughout the day. Um, the Longmont valedictorian has been silenced over uh, his speech, disclosing that he was uh, openly gay. And the Twin Peaks charter principal also accused of outing uh, an 18-year-old to his parents. Uh, if you're not familiar, Twin Peaks is actually um, it, it's a school in Longmont. It's actually got a lot of national recognition for the way that they prepare students for college. I actually uh, spent a lot of time with one of their guidance counselors last summer with a company I was working at. And they do really progressive things there. It is a charter school, so they do run differently, but I believe it's technically still a public school. But um, the St. Vrain Valley Charter School, Peak to Peaks, leadership is now under fire from gay rights activists and others for blocking a class valedictorian from giving a graduation speech in which he planned to announce that he was gay. Um, Evan Young, who was an 18-year-old graduating senior from uh, Twin Peaks Charter High School with a 4.5 GPA and a scholarship uh, that will send him to Rutgers University, also was not recognized as valedictorian at his school's May 16th graduation. Uh, Young said he had agreed to several advance edits to his speech by school principal B.J. Butchman, but he resisted when Butchman told him to take out his disclosure of being gay. Uh, Young explained in a statement to the Boulder Daily Camera on Thursday, one of my themes is that I was going to tell everyone my secrets. Most of the things were stupid stuff, books I never read that I was supposed to or homework I didn't like, but then I gradually worked up to a serious secret. My main theme is that you're supposed to be respectful to people, even if you don't agree with them, and I figured my gayness would be a very good way to address that. Young said he emailed the principal with his revised speech, but all but uh, all but one requested edit having been made and did not and did not so several days in advance to the May 16th graduation. Uh, the school contends he failed to do so as required, and his presentation was canceled to, quote-unquote, protect the solemnity of the evening and preserve and protect the mission of the school. A statement was released by the school's board of directors that stated that Young failed to abide by pre-screening rules and also failed to follow guidelines of the evening by removing the sleeves of his graduation gown. Okay, well, someone's about to be in big trouble. This is just something that you can't do. Like, even if you want to just get this kid on a technicality, do you know how stupid you look right now? Yeah. Yeah. It's I, terrible. Yeah, no, that this story, I read this story really early when I woke up, and I kind of rolled out of bed, read it, and then I just kind of thought that it was too early for me to be reading. I was like, I'm just not understanding what I'm reading. And I set it down. It, it was a really surprising story. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty shocked by it. But it's kind of developed in a few ways. Um, let's see. Isn't there – there's the uh, – out Boulder organization is throwing another fundraiser to give him a second chance to give the speech, correct? Yeah, he, uh, I think at his home, it's either going to be at his home or somewhere else, but uh, on Sunday at a private home, uh, Out Boulder is going to be giving two awards out, and one he will be receiving, and um, they're, they're going to have the event. Uh, it's a fundraiser, which is a $25 entrance fee, so if you want to go hear uh, Young Speech, uh, you should email Executive Director Marty Moore at mmmore at outboulder.org for more information. I haven't been able to find specifics about the location, and um, you know, they, food will be served so i can say that for that 25 dollars entrance fee uh you'll get some food and you get to see something really exciting but to me if i was a school official and i had a student that 
wanted to have their first of all they earned being the valedictorian yeah. that is a huge 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 thing coming from a very competitive school like peak to peak peak to peak is a very intellectually challenging school there's a lot of smart kids there so if you are the valedictorian and you want to use that moment something that you have earned to give I mean, a look into your personal life and talk about your, you know, uh, you're, you're coming out as gay, which is a very big moment. Then if you're a school executive, you got to say, go for it. Like, you got to be really supportive of that. And I don't think that it takes away from the graduation. I, you know, I talked with a few people earlier today and they said, well, maybe the school didn't want Young to be selfish and make the whole event about himself. But I don't really think that's the case. And I mean, the, the, yeah, it's an it, it's obviously a very smart. I assume eighteen, possibly seventeen year old, and the inability for um, I, I don't know if it's principal, executive Buckman, um, to I guess talk to him as an adult and just I mean, it just from the beginning it was just handled wrong. I mean, even if that. That, that there's that small, very small possibility that he didn't want to take attention away from everyone else. Um, obviously, he continued to dig his hole by not keeping this private. To out a child to his parents without him knowing is is completely inexcusable. It just it can, every step of this of the way, it's just been handled the opposite of the way it should have been handled, and it's. Um, I mean. Uh, for for what it's worth, he seems to be kind of just hand like he's he's angry, but he seems to be handling it in stride. And I mean, to show he's mature and smart, and it's just um, yeah, it's just a frustrating situation. And hopefully, I mean, if nothing else, it's a learning experience for every other educator to how to handle these type of situations. And it's just, I mean. Like you said, he earned this right to kind of talk about his high school experience and to take that away, not only take that away, but take away so many other private things within that. Well, it's, it's just, it's, it's again, yeah, it's extremely frustrating. And the principal called the parents after he saw the speech and said, there are some things you need to know about your son. Yeah. So not only does the principal take that moment away from a young man, a very important moment coming out, and just take that away from him. His parents get a call from the school principal like he's in trouble or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, my parents, I mean, I'll be honest. I did not have a perfect uh, record in middle school and high school. There was an incident where the dean called my house, and I was in a lot of trouble. But you don't have deans and principals and stuff calling home about oh, well, your student's doing really well. You know, we really wanted to say, hey, like, it'd be like a police officer pulling you over and saying, hey, you're doing 25 and a 25, high five. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't do that. Yeah. So that, I mean, as big of a problem as I have with not allowing him to speak at the graduation, which, by the way, he wasn't even recognized as valedictorian yeah. after all this yeah. went through. That's an issue in itself. But taking that moment from the young man, something that is common sense is a big deal. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that coming out was a big deal. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and especially stripping him of the val- valedictorian status. That just seems so inex- inexcusable because that's something that you work for your entire high school career. I wasn't a valedictorian. I wasn't even close, and I wasn't able to put in the work for it. He did. He earned the moment. Uh, I do want to do a little bit of a correction here. Um, you said peak to peak earlier. Um it is Twin Peaks Charter Academy, which is in Longmont. Peak to Peak oh, is I'm in Lafayette. Sorry. That is my bad. Yeah, sorry, Twin clarify, Peaks. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. But, yeah. So, it, it is it, – it's a strange story because I don't – I feel like it's not really of this um, of this decade because I feel like right now as a country, we're all moving forward towards acceptance and then to have a teacher out – a student to their parents and not allow him to speak because he's gay is just it seems like it's out of the 50s it's kind of absurd and it just doesn't it doesn't first of all it doesn't sit well with the climate in boulder county yeah not at all but i mean longmont does have a different culture that's true it's it's still it's still in the liberal bubble but less so than boulder for sure and and i mean just it's just it's it it boggles my mind how badly it was handled because to not foresee this happening i mean you really think that you stopping a gay student from um really i guess reaping the rewards of of his hard work over four years and then I mean, you really think that this is not going to get outside of the school? Yeah, you think you're going to get away with this? Yeah, I mean, to not and like that's the thing he he, the, the, he didn't involve anyone else. He just unilaterally called the parents. He even called like a meeting among among the like parents. an in-person meeting. Yeah, exactly. He called the parents without the knowledge of the student. And then, and then again, he didn't involve. I mean, there was no guidance counselor. There's, I mean, he just. I, I mean. I, I hope that he just ended his educational career because, you, I mean, it's the same. I mean, it's a similar thing. Um, was it in Georgia where you had that principal who made the racist rant in church and things like that and, and got fired? I mean, you don't want these people in charge and educating children. And and so it's just it's it's a sad circumstance all around. It shouldn't the school. OK, so first of all, what does that say to other homosexual students not only at this school but like in the school district and in colorado and around the country that you're not gonna support them and then it, there's a difference between not supporting it like i understand some people they're not comfortable with it you know religion blah blah blah, blah. but there's a difference between not supporting it and stuffing it out yeah. and punishing it they're not tolerating it yeah which is the difference you yeah. don't have to be you know what you know it's not gonna be a popular opinion but i if you don't want to deal with it that's your prerogative i you know believe we live in a time where everyone should not have to deal with it i think it's just something that is there and is known but you know if you don't want to deal with it fine if you if you were a student and you're offended by that and you don't want to go to the graduation great stay yeah. home but as an educator i don't think you even have that leeway i i feel like you have to have the role of supporting your students otherwise why are you an educator you know um yeah so I, it'll be interesting. I'm sure this is not the end of this story because I'm sure we're going to see, you know, even though the, the graduation has already happened, um, we're going to see how it will develop as far as the reactions towards the uh, 
towards the educators involved. Yeah. And it is interesting to notice that uh, in 2013 at Fairview High School, which is just down the road from here, yeah, where I graduated, where you went to, um, a young man named Ted Shafflin gave a commencement address that he actually had to audition to do, mm-hmm. uh, much like a lot of high schools do have like a lot of, I mean, Fairview's a large high school. I went to Cherry Creek High School, which is also very large, and you had like dozens of kids that tried out and auditioned to do musical acts and all this stuff. So this young man, Ted Shafflin, um, he, he auditioned to give a speech in which he would talk about his status as a gay student. Uh, the difference, I guess, between him and Young is that it was already known that Ted was a homosexual, mm-hmm. but he was supported by the principal, and he was supported by his uh, peers, and he was a featured speaker. And he uh, uh, had a conversation with the Daily Camera after hearing about uh, Young's predicament and said, as sad as it is, it doesn't shock me that this happened. And hearing that from a young man that went through it himself and you know can see the climate here locally, that's, that's pretty disturbing. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd like to think that if something like that happened, let's just say, for instance, at the journalism graduation, you know, the school I'm in, they have a smaller graduation in Mackey. If we had a circumstance like that, I know all, all my friends and all the people I know in the J school would be behind it, and there would be no question about supporting it. Now, that might just be a CU Boulder thing. I don't know. I mean, it is the truth that Boulder is a bubble and things go on here that don't go on other places. But this is just something that, like you, Liam, I had to read it over a few times. It's like, hold on. This happened two weeks ago? Yeah. In Boulder? Yeah. So we'll definitely stick with this story. I'd love to have him on our show um, and talk about his experience. I think that'd be um, a great segment to have because this is a very unique story. It's not... It's not anything that I thought I would have to read in the year 2015 coming out of the Boulder Daily Camera. Yeah, definitely not. So we'll leave it there. Um, Some serious news locally wrapping up from 1999. uh, Boulder District Court judge on today sentenced Abel Lujan to 48 years in prison for the 1999 murder of 30-year-old Bernie Frost over in Longmont. That is the maximum term that is allowed under the law. Uh, Today's sentencing uh, prosecutors painted Lujan as a violent antisocial man with nearly a 30-year history of felony convictions and violent assaults, mainly against other women. Um, They asked for the maximum sentence of 48 years and got it. Defense attorneys asked for a lesser sentence in the 25 to 30-year range, arguing that Lujan suffers from multiple mental health problems and was severely abused as a child. Back in March, a Boulder County jury convicted Lujan of one count of second-degree murder for beating and strangling to death Frost, who he had been dating for a few months. Uh, Lujan remained in custody at Boulder County Jail on Friday, pending his transfer to the Colorado Department of Corrections. Some other local news, uh, the Broomfield City Council has okayed plans for a 136-room Holiday Inn Express uh, at its city meeting on Tuesday night. The city council approved a 136-room Holiday Inn Express hotel to be built on two and a half, or two and a fifth, no, 2.2 acres of land north, I couldn't do a fraction, of Via Varela between Northwest Parkway and West Midway Boulevard. Uh, the site is north of US 36. The Holiday Inn Express will be a small hotel with few amenities geared towards visitors who are staying for a short period of time and are looking for the basics. Um, I think that this is a really good idea. I mean, even if you just for once a year, you need to have more hotels for graduation. Yeah. There are so many... I mean, people are already booking hotels for next year's graduation. I have friends' parents that have already booked reservations a year out because there are not many local hotels. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's amazing because um, especially kind of being in the center of um, or being the 
midpoint between like Rocky Mountain and Denver and being a tourist place and having a school here, do you think there'd be a couple more, I guess, uh, accommodations available in the area? So, I mean, it's not, not instead of having some people go down to Westminster and stuff, it, it'd probably be best to to have a few more closer. And I think Broomfield's like a... I, I know that this is geared at people who are here in town for a few days, and uh, I, I'm not sure exactly, but I know that uh, for the club sports world, that's huge because there's not many hotels for traveling teams to stay in for a low price. And, um, you know, when I traveled with the men's hockey team, we always stayed in places like a Holiday Inn Express or something similar to that. And it's it's great just to have something cheap and quick to deal with. Um, again, it's not going to be a luxury resort, of course, but that's something that I think the Boulder area is missing. You know, you have the, the Boulder Broker Road Inn, which, in my opinion, is a little old and it's looking a little bit dated. But aside from that, though, I can't really think of, like, quick hotels, to, like, quick turnarounds here in Boulder. Yeah, there aren't many. And the other thing that this hotel will provide is, uh, since it is along 36, basically, you'll have people who are going to the First Bank Center who are going to stay in that hotel. So it does make sense to get a little bit of that late-night traffic off of the road, and that's kind of a little bit of a bottleneck right there at that Broomfield uh, First Bank Center area. So um, that'll that'll probably alleviate some of the traffic problems. Have you Have you been to the First Bank Center? I have never been there. Jared and I went there a few weeks ago. Yikes. Yep. It was <laughs> it was not good. No. And I mean, especially like considering, I mean, the outside looks really nice. And then you go in and you're just like, did I travel back to a 1960s college basketball gym? <laughs> because, I mean, just the setup, unfortunately, is not not the best. But I mean, at least, I guess, it's inside. It's probably something that they'll update at some point, especially if they can get bigger shows here and they have more accommodations to... Um, attract fans and things like that especially longer festivals and and yeah was that for music or for wrestling pro wrestling you already know (laughs) it's yeah that was it was okay it just was a weird venue it also has like a really weird like south asian southeast asian theme going on there really yeah yeah with lanterns like hanging from certain lights and and weird uh yeah weird uh sculptures and stuff on the walls it's it's weird. It's hard to describe. So I guess go if you want to. All righty. What else? Other news. Here's a good one. Uh, Denver police ID'd a grade school staffer who was arrested on a felony drug charge after she was discovered unconscious in a school bathroom. Cassandra Ryan is being held at the downtown Denver's jail on suspicion of possession of a Schedule One substance. She was taken into custody at the Denver Center for International Studies at Ford Elementary School on Thursday morning. She was found by four first-grade girls who thought she was sleeping. The school told parents in a letter that Rain had been placed on administrative leave. Officials have not elaborated on her role at the school, and investigators have not released further details on the arrest, but... Um, if you can tell from the mugshot, you can't see on the radio, but the mugshot is not promising. What if you work in if you work in elementary education? How do you allow that to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a this is a part of a story where people will look at this in two ways. Uh, one way being, how did this woman? How was this woman allowed to be around children? Because children found her with the needle in the arm and a white powder substance near her um so that's one way to look at it i think a little bit of the um the way that society is evolving is that she's an ill woman 
you know. And the other interesting thing to note about this story is that she had no priors. She had no prior convictions. There's no way that the school could have known without um, drug testing. So it's just a it's a unfortunate situation. Yeah, for everyone involved. It's a head scratcher. That's no good. Uh, all right, other local news. Um, here's a good one, and I really wish that. I fit into this age range because the Boulder Police Department is offering a free summer youth academy for teens. That's right. Boulder PD is offering a free two-week summer youth academy for teenagers interested in learning more about the work police officers do. The academy will take place from June 15th to the 26th at the Boulder Police Department, and it is open to teens between the ages of 14 and 18. The classes will run from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and will include lectures and hand-on training on a variety of different topics, including processing uh, stage crime scenes, SWAT team demonstrations, radar guns, taking 911 calls, and the Boulder County Bomb Squad robot. The Boulder County District Attorney's Office will also discuss the court process and give a tour of the Boulder County Justice Center. Students will also get a physical fitness practice at the end of each day. The course is free, and you have till June 8th to register. So if you are interested or you have a child in mind that may be interested uh you can apply at the boulder police department's youth academy by contacting boulder police officer beth mcnally at area code 720-391-5743 or via email at mcnally m-c-n-a-l-l-e-y-b at bouldercolorado.gov um more simply, you can go online to bouldercolorado.gov slash police, and you'll be able to find the information in the application there. And I know if I was in that age range, I would have loved to do that. That would have been awesome. I, I grew up with a very anti-police family, so they would not have promoted me going to something like this. Not on the menu for Jared. Liam, no. would you have done it? I don't I don't think I would have been admitted. I'll just say that much. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that it's interesting, <laughs> but uh yeah, that would not have happened in my in my teenage years. I okay, truthfully, like I'm 21, but I would still love to do that. <laughs> now I would love to do, now I think it'd be fascinating. It sounds like a good course. I've been trying to do a ride along for a while to do uh to do an audio story about it i try to do that too yeah. it's impossible yeah i mean some i know someone who's done it but patrick fort did it oh yeah last I, year okay yeah i mean that's a that's a really cool thing to do i think it's a positive thing i don't think it's necessarily needed in boulder as much as it is in say baltimore but uh <laughs> well that i mean that I, uh, now that you bring it up i mean that's what what is the point of this is it to recruit at more, I guess, future police officers and to kind of do a little um, politicking for police officers, especially like in the future when people either are voting or, or they're looking for, I mean, looking for support and things like that, or is it an actual thing to get to ha- have activities for teens and stuff like that? And it seems to be a little more the former, the way they're describing it. I'm sure it's a combination. Yeah. Um, it's a good PR move. Yes, oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think any anything that bridges the, the gap and engages, um, you know, it brings citizens to the police in a positive light yeah. is a, is a good thing you know regardless of you know you can you can pretty clearly see that this is a th- they're not going to go and say hey these are the hard realities of being a police <laughs> officer and these are all the bad things cops do no it's not going to be yeah. that but it'll be something to inform inform people 
if anyone in the Boulder Police Department is listening, I would love to uh, be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, like, do you need a counselor? You yeah. We'll send Joe. It'll be great. It'll be oh, actually, that's not going to work. I'm going to be in Hawaii. Never mind. <laughs> Forget it. doesn't matter. Here's a good one that Jared found, and um, you've probably noticed this if you've been hiking in Boulder. You've ever seen those, like, just stacks of rocks around Chautauqua, or I was at El Dorado Canyon uh, on the other day, and I saw all these just, like, stacks of rocks, and I was like, hippies or aliens? <laughs> not sure, but... So, in reference to these stacks of rocks, uh, Boulder Police today acknowledged that an officer mistakenly issued a warning last weekend to a local artist who stacks rocks in Boulder Creek, but stressed that such actions are not illegal in the city. In a post on his Facebook page on Tuesday, Michael Grab, who is a rock-stacking artist who goes by the name Gravity Glue, <laughs> claimed Boulder uh, claimed a Boulder police officer threatened to ticket him or arrest him over the Memorial Day weekend for stacking rocks in Boulder Creek. Um, according to his Facebook page, he wrote, So now that police have belligerently taken it upon themselves to write tickets and or arrest anyone balancing rocks in Boulder, Colorado, and specifically threaten to ticket me and or arrest me if they catch me in the future, I will go as public as necessary to expose this newfound police-fueled shortcoming of the city of Boulder. Worst case scenario, I leave Boulder permanently and take a huge positive vibe with me. <laughs> Why would a police officer think that was illegal at all yeah so it's it was saying that there was a city ordinance saying that you can't throw rocks so he was saying that that was probably under the throwing rocks because a rock could fall and then travel down the river uh pretty absurd story i saw actually this morning i saw an article that said it wasn't even on a local news source and it was just playing off the fact that the town is called boulder so it's like stacking rocks in boulder is illegal ha 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 and I was very confused because I see that happen like every day along the creek. And uh, yeah, and then this kind of retraction story has come out since then. I've got, I've got the ordinance right here, and I'm going to read it, and okay. we're going to try and figure out where this would fit in. Here we go. <clears throat> the ordinance against damaging public property does not allow any person to damage, move, remove, destroy, drill a hole in, dig, or injure in any manner whatsoever any grass, tree, shrub, plant, flower, soil, rock, or other natural object, railing, bridge, culvert, sign, building, equipment, bolt, archaeological, historical, or cultural object, or any other property whatsoever belonging to the city or under the possession and control of the city. First of all, that sounds like a fantastic Daft Punk song that we yeah. can just do a remix to. <laughs> Second of all, I don't know where Stacking Rocks fits into that description. Well, I, the one thing I can think of is if they put rocks up after the flood or as a jetty or something like that, then the cop took that as liberty to stop someone from stacking rocks next to the creek. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous, but I mean... I don't know. I kind of want to hear just for for uh, for my own edification. I want to hear the cop side of it. Just to, like someone was having a bad day. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. It's pretty impressive too. I, again, it's radio, so you can't see the pictures. But uh, this guy's stacking rocks in pretty fast-moving water, and they're not stacked. I mean, they're it's like a game of Jenga. It's yeah. I was not aware that before today. I learned. Uh, that rock stackers are artists is <laughs> that term maybe only here maybe i don't know <laughs> only in boulder yeah 641 on radio 1190 kvc board the am revolution joe paris liam comer and jared Brouch here with you on friday night uh we 
boys, we can be on here as long as we want. We can we have till nine o'clock if we want. So we can. I know Jared and I definitely want to touch on a little bit of pro wrestling um, eventually, but uh, let's talk about this FIFA scandal. If you didn't hear. There's some bad thing going on in the football world, the non-American football world. And a few days ago, there was a big-time arrest over in Zurich, which is in Switzerland, and a group of FIFA, FIFA's, I guess, uh, governing body were arrested for corruption. And the question is, well... What did these people do? I'm sure most people have heard a little bit about it at this point, but it is actually really interesting to read into it. You can read into the subject as deeply as you want, but in short, um, the United States Justice Department is actually the governing body going after this. The FBI and the CIA were actually also involved in this, but the Justice Department's announcement primarily cites deals between FIFA, sports marketing groups, and broadcast corporations for the television rights to air the World Cup and or international soccer tournaments dating back to 1991. Which, by the way, Bill Clinton, uh, the former president, was actually one of the guys that got the ball rolling on this, believe it or not. Um, The indictment alleges that those involved conspired to receive bribes from marketing firms in exchange for exclusive uh, television contracts to culminate tunes of more than $150 million. As Attorney General Loretta Lynch stated, quote, it spans at least two generations of soccer officials who, as alleged, have abused their positions of trust to acquire millions of dollars in bribes and kickbacks. Um, so that's just on top of other things going on right now. There are, what, a few thousand dead in Qatar, mm-hmm. and I know there was a lot of deaths leading up to uh, the last World Cup in Brazil that are they're being called FIFA slaves is yeah. what they're being called. And also, I read an article this afternoon. It's, it's not something I'd lead with, but apparently there's now a group coming out saying that the 2002 World Cup was um, rigged. Yeah, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be shocking? I mean, there's there's so many corrupt elements of FIFA. I think the interesting thing about this story is that it's revealed something that we've known for a long time because people uh, over a year ago were starting to to talk about how the the Russia bid and the Qatar bid were um, bought. You know, people paid for votes for those, and it came out that uh, somebody had actually been found guilty of doing it in the russian case and it's just obvious that it happened in the qatar case um and now this news story comes out and people are talking about how oh look they're getting caught for the for buying the bids in russia and qatar has nothing to do with this current corruption case this was 150 million dollar bids for tv and distribution contracts completely different um problem different scandal probably some similar people involved uh, but it just has to do with the the general structure of fifa fifa is structured in a way that every single country has a vote so they all have equal say in this situation so the uh the president sepp blatter has been able to he's a very good politician basically control these smaller um countries that have less people involved but are equally as influential through the voting system and has maintained control and uh, you mentioned Sepp Blatter, who is a 79-year-old Swiss, actually won his fifth term as president of FIFA um, today, which is like, how did the guy who is in charge and has been in charge of FIFA during this entire thing get reelected? 
That's a head scratcher. I mean, even if you don't know anything about what's going on and you just hear murmurings of what's been going on with FIFA over the last decade, it's got to be a guilt by association thing. Yeah. There's no way his hands are clean in this. Well, the crazy thing is it's he got elected in the way that dictators get elected. If it's not very close at all, uh, you basically need the way FIFA does voting. You need two rounds of votes. Either you have your first round and there's a super majority of 66% and then you get pushed through or is it? Yeah, it's 66 six percent um but if you don't get that 66 percent there's a runoff vote well set bladder was just two votes short of the super majority they had the runoff vote but um before the vote even happened seven short oh he was seven short okay well but before the runoff vote the other guy conceded because it wasn't going to happen i mean apparently too that bladder's people went to was ali was his his opponent right it was ali bin al hussein okay he was yeah. a prince of jordan yeah prince ali but he's prince ali i guess too sounds like prince ali. yeah um <clears throat> apparently he went to them and i i'm gonna assume that he's gonna get us some type of position after this because apparently he pulled back from his kind of um, his campaign after the first vote after and after Blatter's people talked to him. So, I mean, even in front of everyone's eyes, it, this whole thing continues. This is bad. And it's funny and it not funny at the same time. The funny part is that it's the United States that got it done because they're the only major world power that could care less about soccer. And that's why they went after these guys because – other big-time governments that are involved in FIFA are kind of like, yeah, we'll just turn a blind eye because we love soccer. Yeah, if you thought we were going to get the 2026 bid, it's not happening anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, they. it's great and it's really noble for justice, but in the soccer community, there's a lot of people that are very unhappy with the United States. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I mean it's, it's interesting to see, I guess. I mean, it's... There's a l- lot bigger split than I guess you'd expect. That there, I mean, there's a lot of European countries that are kind of they're happy about this, especially because they're still bitter about kind of Russia getting the 2018 bid and the 20, 2022 bid. And so, I mean, that's going to be the other kind of interesting thing moving forward is how the countries that don't agree with this and are kind of getting. Um, buried as a result of kind of the, this corruption, are, are they going to move anything? Because I, th- I mean, I'm going to assume Europe's going to be the next kind of group of countries that start going after these people and start going after their their uh, the UEFA um, officials that are involved in this. But I mean, I remember, I guess, I think it was 2010, 2011, when the TV bids came out and there's three or four media companies that are like we'd even we weren't even notified that you're accepting bids let alone you're about to make a decision on on fox um is it fox and espn yeah fox sports got it um that they like and that was because of the corruption that there was money being exchanged on the table so i think that was part of it too and i mean these a lot of these media companies especially against Rupert Murdoch and Fox hate each other enough where they start nudging they're like we don't want to lose money like this is this is too big of a contract to be giving up without bids so we're I mean it's and we're not going to lose anything from this we're actually going to affect Fox coverage of soccer moving forward in general because now I mean they're going to be tainted by association so I mean, I think that's part of it, too, is when you—the weird thing, like, with the American—quote, like, American 
version of capitalism is like nothing gets done until you piss off another person in the oligarchy yeah. and that's what that's what all these people did is i think there was enough money being lost by companies in the united states too that they started pushing for for some of this and the the best i guess comparison i can make is the reason why the governing countries of fifa didn't go after them is the same reason why like the united states government won't go after the nfl they love the nfl yeah. i mean if the, if the united states government wanted to they could go after the nfl for anything and they could do serious damage to the league but they're not going to do that because like why would they everyone loves football in the united states well american football in the united states uh something i do want to mention that is uh coming off of a deadspin report and an espn report as well um i think it was two weeks ago i saw this and espn actually reported that set blatter was afraid of entering the united states for fear that he would be arrested um because he explained in a New York Times article that the United States has so much power over international law and the United States Justice Department has such wide authority that they could have gotten him on a number of things. And you know, some of them smaller, some of them bigger. So again, this guy's hands is not clean. And he's been in charge since 1998 of FIFA. And in that time, he has been the guy that was the president of a league that has exploded and you know soccer soccer in the united states is still not there and i think there's a lot of people that are in denial about that but it is a lot bigger now than it was in 1998 and i don't really know specifically what his hand in that all is but he's done really good things for the sport and so it's kind of one of those things where he's done so many good things for soccer and fifa that there's a lot of people that feel like they just just let it go yeah, I mean, you kind of wonder, you can easily make the Roger Goodell comparison in that Roger Goodell still has his job because the NFL is making a lot more money than it used to. Uh, but you wonder if it's the same situation with FIFA of where they're going to be making more money regardless. He just happens to be the person who's in charge at the time, and he's making a lot of money off of it. And FIFA actually did conduct their own investigation into the allegations of corrupting uh, the bids of the 2018 in Russia and 2022 in Qatar, and they basically released a very, very short report. I think it was exactly 42 pages um, saying that, oh, it's okay, and that's all right. But and it, it does confirm that the Russia bid was bought, though. It did, but it's also like, yeah, it's all right. Things are okay. It's yeah. like, how do you release your own report? <laughs> it's like if the NFL released their own report on concussions, being like, nah, I mean, there's a few guys that got concussed. But well, they, they did that. Yeah. Actually, well, yeah. they did. That's yeah. how they lost That's millions of dollars last did, year. Yeah. But, uh, so if you're a soccer fan, okay, so the question has been, oh, what is this going to do to the on-field product? This won't do anything to the on-field product. And I'm sure the average soccer fan won't ever notice what's going on. But with money and with you know television deals and advertising, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Because Visa, who is a huge sponsor of FIFA and international soccer, is already threatening to pull their sponsorship. And if Visa pulls out, it'd be interesting to see who else pulls out. Maybe a Coca-Cola pulls out. Yeah. Maybe McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah. And if, if you know, then that's when you would see a, an issue with the on-field product because then you'd lose a lot of money. I can't imagine that 
all of the sponsors are going to be intact by the time that you know there's the projection the projection of 4000 dead by um th- by 2022 so i cannot i mean I, if you're already seeing ads saying that th- it's right now the official death tolls at 1200 for the qatar build um i can't imagine that people aren't going to be at the same time it's kind of like the nfl of wow this is killing people and <coughs> causing serious brain injuries i'm still going to watch the games yeah fifa is that for the whole world and fifa's already said that they're not going to move either bid yeah so for something something drastic would have to happen for that um, yeah because i mean he, they'd be facing a lot of lawsuits i mean and and that was that was kind of the whole i mean both with russia and 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 cutter um is you have the people involved are these shady rich people and if you cross them and if all of a sudden fifa turns their back on them um i th- I, I think they're more, they're scared of that and and so i mean it's not unheard of for i mean we're we're seven years out and i think when columbia lost their bid or gave up their bid there was only three two or four three or four years out so it's not un, it wouldn't be impossible to change a bid if they really wanted to but i don't either place i don't think they want to cross the people that they made oh, deals yeah. with definitely not that's when you get people start getting murdered and yeah. stuff yeah. like really really bad stuff um one last thing before we move on the timing of this is interesting and there's some questions like why why is the timing now and jeremy schapp from espn actually reported that there were some deadlines looming because there's actually a five-year statute of limitations on foreign corruption uh practices so it was like now or never time and the united states decided to pull the trigger with the amount of evidence they had thankfully or you know it works out that it's gonna work out in the favor of the united states government and they're not gonna look like a bunch of idiots that were just chasing after uh ghosts and i mean that yeah there was some concern uh i guess i think a year and a half ago i was reading was a timeline that they didn't have the concrete evidence to pull the trigger on this it's one of those things where they knew it was happening but they didn't have the documents they didn't have the numbers and they they got it very recently like within the last three four months well when you get someone to turn um and that's that's this this whole process is is that's what's happening is they got one person to turn they got more names they'll probably get a couple more people to turn on um whether it's it's more officials from south america or north america or even more international people and then you start playing these games of where do we have jurisdiction to arrest them where can we do this but um i mean as long as they can they have the evidence and can charge them then it it it, um I guess basically resets the clock because they're, they they now have charges to move forward with. Um, so I mean that's I mean with any case like this, it's just getting that one person a turn. They they got someone who was who who's scared enough that to lose their freedom and wealth that that he was he and I, I can't I, I can't remember his name right now, but I mean he he sang. I mean he's yeah. he's he snitched in the the most basic sense of the word. Uh, one last thing I do want to mention. Of the, I believe, 13 that were arrested, nine of them were actual FIFA officials, and four of them were actually uh, sports marketing executives. And there's actually one, Aaron Davidson, who is the president of Traffic Sports USA, Inc., who is an American. So um, I was wondering, you know, was there any Americans involved? There's at least one involved that I'm aware of. Um, 
I haven't honestly gone through and looked for the nationality of all nines of the FIFA defendants, but at least one of these sports marketing executives is American, and so there is an American tie. Yeah, they're mostly from the Americas because their their contracts for their TV contracts within North and South America. Okay, so there there's that. Uh, Six fifty seven Radio eleven ninety KVC Bowler still on the international news. Here's a good one, and I'm very excited about this. The United States has taken Cuba off its list of state sponsors of terrorism. Secretary of State John Kerry has signed an order that removed Cuba from the U.S. terrorism blacklist as part of the process of trying to normalize relationships between Cuba and. The United States. Kerry acted 45 days after the Obama administration informed Congress of its intent to do so. Lawmakers had that much time to weigh in and try to block the move, but no one did so. Uh, the step comes as officials from the countries continue to hash out details of restoring full diplomatic relations, including opening embassies in Washington and Havana and returning ambassadors to the two countries. Friday's removal of Cuba from the terrorism list has been a key Cuban demand, and that's awesome. I really want to yeah. go to Cuba. No, this is this is actually a really important and exciting story. Uh, my family works with a nonprofit that goes to Cuba every few years to bring uh, medical supplies, and just it's an exchange because Boulder has a sister city in uh, in Cuba that they have regular relations with. Uh, this does not end the embargo, but it is a huge step towards that. So uh, you know, it's starting to open up, and we're we're going to see a really cool country come into the fold here. Um, um, it's it, it's interesting to me how divided people are on this. And this also says a lot about Florida because Florida has a ton of, um, you know, people who had Cuban um, Cuban parents, Cuban grandparents who were very anti, you know, the Cuban government currently. And they are voters in a state with 36 electoral college votes. So, um it's kind of shows because I thought we were going to see some some candidate on the Republican side say, OK, no, I'm going to be the one to try to stop this. It's saying that they don't need Florida. You know, they're not trying to use Florida in this next election if uh, they're not trying to launch their their career that way. We're going to probably do hours and hours in the next year on this, but it'll be really interesting who the Republican candidate for president is, yeah. because there are so many people that are throwing their hats in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Florida's really interesting, and I know it's not politically correct, but it's called North Cuba sometimes, because yeah. there's a lot of Cubans um, throughout the state of Florida, and the heritage down there and the culture they created is really unique, and it's really cool. Um my my great grandmother lived down there, and I you know used to spend some time down there. And you would go through some neighborhoods, and they weren't. Like, I mean, Florida as a whole is not the the grandiosest place in the world. But it's really interesting now to see how that how those neighborhoods might be able to improve now that they may be able to get legitimate help from Cuba, and you can have things back and forth. And I hate to bring it into it, but also pro baseball now is going to have a a brand new feeder system and like these ex- ridiculous contracts where people were paying like like a hundred million dollars just to talk to a guy from Cuba. I think that's going to start to go away. Well, yeah, I mean, in, uh, in a weird way, MLB has has a has, as a lobbying group. Not that they have a ton of power, but they have enough money and influence where they, people listen to them, and that's part of it in a weird way that they want the rights. I mean, and and I mean, this is a whole different conversation about how um, MLB exploits Latin American players, but they want to be able to do that with the Cuban players. They want to be able to sign a Cuban 16-year-old to a $1,500 contract, and instead of 
Um, you have guys like Puig and uh, Abreu and stuff coming over for $60, $70 million. Um, Cespedes is another one. Um, yeah, I mean, MOB has enough money where, I mean, and, and you can see certain, I guess, lobbying groups, especially, I guess, groups, um, consumer groups who want to be able to sell in Cuba um, and want to make money off of Cuba that have their influences also kind of coming into play for better or worse. I want to go to Cuba so badly now. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how once the embargo does end, which is probably going to happen in the next couple of years here, how that will be integrated in Cuba's economy because it was not very long ago. It was, I, they might even still technically have this currency system, but uh, a few years ago when uh, I had friends and family down there, they had to have a different currency and people would still try to buy the foreign currency, the foreign it's not it's cuban money but it's cuban money for foreigners so they're not able to buy a house with it for example um you know they just just last year uh opened up a housing market because people had to hold on to their property for their entire lifetime and then give it to their kids before they've just opened it up to where you can actually exchange houses so now the infrastructure is actually starting to grow because people are investing in it so that they can sell it to other people it's it's a country like no other right now, and it's going to start growing pretty quickly if the embargo opens. Yeah, it's like stuck in the 1950s. I mean, if you see uh, videos or documentaries or just pictures, it looks like the country's in 1952 still. Like the cars they drive, the way people dress, the way the city looks. It's all, it's like a living museum, and it's cool to an extent. Obviously, there's a lot of poverty and a lot of things going on there that suck, but yeah. it's really, it'd be really interesting to go down there and walk around because I really want to see Cuba before it. It explodes like it inevitably will. Yeah. But the the interesting thing too is that this is this is a remnant of the Cold War. You know, this is this relation that you know Cuba is controlled by a dictatorship, and th- all those things are true to a certain extent. But we for we don't mention it's not that we don't know, but we don't mention the fact that they have a better education system than we do. They have a better health system than we do. They just don't do it within the capitalist system that we have. So it's it's like how uh, how China has integrated these capitalist zones. It's going to be crazy to see how they they try to integrate the things that have worked in Cuba that we don't really talk about because we want to say that nothing works in a communist system with our you know capitalist influence. And I mean, I think that and and like you said with um, communism, most of their problems is are a result of this embargo. The fact yeah. that America and all their allies have have cut off this country just because of their um their style of government whereas all these institutions that have they've done such a good job of of forming their um and if they had kind of the free trade um i mean again i mean we're we 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 just we've never had a kind of a really pure form of communism that wasn't cut off by other countries that um, it, I mean, it's going to be kind of this very unique experiment as as kind of we move away from these antiquated ideas about communism. 704 on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. You're tuned in to News Underground. Um, we're going to launch into another hot topic now. We took a real quick break from sports. We're going to go back to it. Jared actually uh, found this one this afternoon, and it's actually a conversation I had uh, over drinks twice this week about the amount of money that the United States uh, Department of is, is it Homeland Security or the Department of Justice? Uh, this one was about the VA, Veteran Affairs. Okay, so... But they all give a lot of money to... I mean, the article describes multiple... 
um, organizations within the Department of Defense and the military, how so, much money they give to. So we got to preface this, I guess, a little bit. Um, so you know those events. Anytime you go into a sporting event on TV or in the arena, almost every single time there is a veteran that is recognized on the Titantron, and you know everyone goes to their feet, and sometimes the kids come home, sometimes it's a big surprise. It's been a really, it's a cool thing to see. It's been very, I hate to say it, it's very trendy. Uh, it's like really easy to use on social media. It's really cool to create these American heroes. But it turns out that the soldiers are being paid to appear. And to me, I didn't ever think about that. I just assumed, oh, you give a veteran, you know, a local veteran free tickets to the game. He brings his family. They put him on the Titantron. It's a great time. Turns out there's a lot, a lot, a lot of money involved in this. And I actually found this out the other night at dinner. Someone told me that um, they had a friend that was in the military, and they were paid, um, I'm not going to disclose the amount of money, but they were paid a certain amount of money to go to a Denver Broncos game and be recognized up on the screen. And that really bothered me. And I, you know, at first I was really uncomfortable with this. Like, really? Like, and, I, and then I kind of calmed down. I was like, all right, well, you know, it's fair. I guess these veterans might not even like sports. They're coming out and they're being entertainers. You know, if you had Dwayne The Rock Johnson come to a Nuggets game and, you know, try to pump up the crowd at halftime, I'm sure he'd be given a handsome salary. But, Jared, uh, I'll let you take it from here. This is kind of a sticky situation that a lot of people, I think, didn't really want to find out about. Yeah, and, I mean, it's just – and um, was it Pierce? I think Charles Pierce wrote the, yeah, um, Charles P. Pierce wrote. Um, and there's a lot of articles. I mean, you just kind of put NFL and military or NFL and Department of Defense, and you see how much money is being exchanged. And, I mean, not only that, but, I mean, just the, the entire atmosphere, the flyovers, the giant American flags, the um, – the every time there's a Coors Light commercial, they're also thanking the troops. I mean, all none of this is purely out of anyone's heart, and n not to say that not, no one kind of saw this as a publicity ploy, um, especially just. I mean, the same reason why a lot of teams do community service is it's kind of this public-private exchange that we're giving X amount of money. We expect you to be involved in the community and celebrate the community and, and the community being whether that the city or America. Um, but the amount of, I guess, just, yeah, the amount of money that's being exchanged for these quote-unquote personal or quote-unquote patriotic moments um, is just it's it's something that isn't surprising but it's still disheartening to kind of actually see because i always assumed it was a sincere thing i never really thought too much into it it was something that would just happen it would usually happen in the third quarter of a basketball game or the second half of a football game you know there'd be a timeout and then they would show the soldier on the screen everyone would get on their feet um you know once in a while they'd have a soldier run out on the field and surprise his family and it's always a, like a feel-good moment but I mean, just to put it in context, in the article that was written by Pierce, he recognized that the New York Jets of the NFL got uh, nearly $400,000 from the Department of Defense for a segment. I mean, it's just an in-game segment. And so it makes you wonder, is like, how sincere are these events? How sincere are these moments? And it makes you feel like you're just commercializing someone's military achievements. And that's that's sours a lot of people 
uh, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding where the interests are of, like, who is paying whom in this situation. The, I mean, at least the article describes the Department of Defense are, play, are paying NFL teams to give tickets and, I guess, merchandise and even fly. Sometime, most of the time they're local, so they don't have to the transportation costs are negligible, but it's the money passing directly from the Department of Defense to NFL franchises. To the NFL franchises, yeah. and then some of that is later then provided to the soldier who's at the event? Well, or? no, this is, and I don't know if they actually talk about, or Pierce talks about this, but the way I'm figuring it is they're paying the teams. The teams give the soldiers probably a stipend or uh, whatever however you want to per diem yeah or yeah something. some some amount of money the tickets and they can probably write that off too like when turn around so they're just collecting four hundred thousand dollars for the department of defense to show an advertising for um yeah the military through this soldier yeah i mean i think the the thing that makes you feel a little bit weird about this is that it's a it's a cultural thing. It's something that you kind of expected to be. It's just a part of our culture because it's something that we've grown up going to games or seeing them on TV, and they always honor the soldiers. And it is advertising, like you said at the end of the day, that is advertising, saying that you know you can go and join the military, and then there's a chance that you're going to go be at a Jets game, and everybody's going to clap for you. And to me, I mean, I think uh, the figure was what six million dollars for this year I don't in excess of six million dollars uh to the 16 nfl teams and that's public money by the way those are taxpayer dollars they're not just you know funds that came out of nowhere these are your taxpayer dollars that are being given to the nfl team so if you want to divide it six million plus divided by 16 you're you're talking a lot of money here um where was i going with this that's a lot of money. And, oh, here's where I was going with this. Couldn't you take that $6 million and invest it into veterans that need help? Why are we taking $6 million and taking who you could assume veterans that are pretty well off when they return from war and giving them, you know, it, honestly, the heroes deserve the recognition. I'm not saying that at all. I think these heroes do deserve these segments, paid or unpaid. I really think um, they're cool. I think they're inspiring. I think, you know sheds the military in a good light you know you don't have to be a fan of the war but you should always be a fan of our heroes and that's great but at the same time if you that's a lot of money couldn't you take that six million dollars and help soldiers return to college help with uh, therapy for those with ptsd help the families that lost uh, someone in war well and especially with everything that's happening with va hospitals these days that that is it's troubling but when you think about it you really think about any military advertising uh you are paying to be advertised to that's kind of it's a part of the social contract of if we're going to have a military you need to recruit people to the military this is just one apparatus of it that just looks less like when you see the uh the people standing on a cliff with a sword talking about the navy you know that's a commercial yeah and that's a different situation than when you see somebody being reunited with their family uh you think that's a sweet moment that's awesome that you know the, the nfl and the military were able to make that moment happen um yeah so it's it doesn't feel like advertising when it really is and I, and I think, I mean, especially, I guess, after the Vietnam War, but it was really kind of intensified around the Gulf War, and, and especially Whitney Houston singing the national anthem, and full flyover, full. They quickly figured out, um, 
I mean, I would say during the 80s and 90s that um, they could no longer have, I guess, the positive reputation by just being the military, that a lot of it was going to come from not only kind of positive PR and positive advertising, but linking themselves with products and with brands that are kind of always have a positive um, influence in people's lives. And I mean, I mean, even it, as we talk about um, the issues with the NFL, uh, people still ha still support football. Still, um, I mean, uh, we talked about with the with the FIFA thing how strong the support of the NFL and football is in this country. Um, and I mean, there's uh, there's many other products they do this for. I'm trying. I, I forget the soda brand they linked up with that they there's camouflage and all of them and and. Point oh three cents went to wounded warriors or whatever, and and so I mean, yeah, this is has always been part of their marketing. I think um, it just the fact that th like this is so direct and disingenuous that it's it's something that even with what you felt about the military, these moments are, are still something that we all kind of agreed on that this is this is. Um, you're still serving something, even though, even if we don't agree with the overall mission, we still appreciate your service, and we appreciate that we get to share in this moment with your family and and with really the rest of the city or whatever. And now it just it just puts another kind of dent in that in that whole feeling and that whole kind of emotional um, connection people had with that. So the next time you're at a sporting event and you see that, and I'm not trying to sour that experience, but just know that that's what's going on. In the, in the article that we're referencing here um, from Grantland, again, a great article written by uh, Charles Pierce, um, is just talking about the NFL. This does happen at hockey games and basketball games and baseball games as well. So that $6 million uh, to the NFL is only a portion. I'm sure it's a larger chunk. Maybe Major League Baseball is getting a similar chunk, but you know, the NHL and the NBA are probably getting significantly less. 7.15 p.m. on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. And let's continue the hot topics. Here's a good one. Um, it turns out that a health journalist basically made up an article about chocolate being good for you to see if yeah. anybody would call him on it and to also see if newspapers and media organizations would really just run articles um, without fact-checking. Uh, this past spring, the Journal of International Archives of Medicine published a delicious new study. According to researchers at Germany's Institute of Diet and Health, people who ate dark chocolate while dieting lost more weight. And the media coverage of this was tenfold. I saw it on I remember seeing a it. lot of websites. Um, some examples. The Irish Examiner wrote, scientists say eating chocolate can help you lose weight. America's Huffington Post said... Oh, excuse me. The India Huffington Post said, excellent news. Chocolate can help you lose weight. And Modern Healthcare said, dieting, don't forget the chocolate. Everyone was rejoicing, saying, we better go to King Supers. Forget the eggs. Forget the milk. We better get our dark chocolate. <laughs> Turns out that uh, it, was, it really was too good to be true. And the Institute of Diet and Health that published it is just a website with no institute attached. Um, Johannes Bohannon, who said he was a health researcher and a lead author of the study, is actually a John Bohannon, who is a science journalist who's actually tried this stunt before. And the study, while based on real results of an actual clinical trial, wasn't aimed at testing the health benefits of chocolate. It was aimed at testing health reporters to see if they could distinguish a bad science story from a good one. And it turns out 
They can't. They can't do it. Well, Hannon, who revealed that the stunt... Um, Sorry, Bohannon reeled it was a stunt when he wrote an essay for the io9 website on Wednesday. He said he was part of a team of gonzo journalists and one doctor who, in Bohannon's words, wanted to demonstrate just how easy it is to turn bad science into a big headline behind diet fads. Uh, in a phone interview at the Washington Post, Bohannon said, I know people who have gone on diet fads and it has done them no good. It's all cloaked in the mantle of science and it's really troubling. I was ready for taking on the diet industry for showing how they treat it like lifestyle material rather than real science um yikes yeah <laughs> there's, there's so many good things about this story of just the fact that you can have a clickbait story and people will just copy and paste it and put it under their publication i think is the big thing here because that's that's essentially what this is saying you can eat chocolate and get thinner like what what news organization doesn't want that to be true and doesn't want to be reporting on that and getting you know thousands of people posting that on their Facebook. It was a top headline on CNN, MSNBC, Reddit. It was everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, I think also, and I, I this is, I guess, reading both the IO09 article and kind of other quotes from him, people are also kind of missing the fact that people are doing this all the time in major journals and they're not coming out later saying I did this to trick you. They're coming they're doing it for their careers and to advance what they think is science, what they think is information. And just I mean I mean, I just from being a grad student probably end up reading hundreds of journal articles a year. I've submitted to journals and to see some of the stuff that comes out and the shoddy research that goes into it um, I, ultimately, that's what he's trying to say, that we don't have kind of the journalism um, isn't doing its its homework in terms of science reporting and, and in terms of reporting on emerging, um, whether it's emerging technologies or emerging treatments or emerging, um, I mean, this is diets, which is such an e easy pull for, journal for um, news organizations, but... I mean, ultimately, it's, it's, I think, revealing something much larger in terms of the way, um, the way news organizations go about um, reading and reporting on science news and, and, and science information. It's funny, though, because Bohannon is now taking heat for um, inadvertently having Americans eat more chocolate than they should have been. But it's like, come on. It's, oh, God. And, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because, like, like a lot of these science stories are second and third hand stories and they're not actually reading the source material and then the people who believe it aren't reading the source material either and i mean this is what happens it's just like i said it in in the end someone doesn't reveal that this was all a trick and all of a sudden all our ideas about where different um, disciplines in science are going are completely changed, and that's why we have so much so much misinformation about nutrition, about diet, about health science, and things like that. Is because of this inability for um, the people that are disseminating this information to the mainstream um, don't have aren't doing their homework, aren't don't have the skills to really read into these. Uh, projects and only one journalist who was a reporter from ohio uh contacted bohannon about the integrity of the story and you know to keep the guys going bohannon uh you know avoided him and you know it turned out the reporter just gave up and didn't 
ever really published a story as far as uh, Bohannon recalled. So, so that is concerning because we live in the era of social media and as you know, clickbait. It's like every time that you are on Facebook, it seems like on the sidebar there is some kind of clickbait story. It's like. Oh, 10 things that you're eating, that's going to kill you. Yeah. You're like, I got to click it. But it's like you go to this website, and it's like the science of modern foodonomics, and it's like that's not, <laughs> not real. That I mean, isn't, that isn't good. I can understand how a, a journalist can make this mistake because you, you can see a story. This is a legitimate study that they're looking at. It's just not saying um, what people are trying to pull from it. And you know, not every journalist is going to be a trained scientist. Not every every journalist is going to have that background. At the same time, they have a responsibility to check back in and kind of confirm a little bit more than they have been in that situation. And and like you were saying, it's there's a lot of cases of people doing this on purpose of saying, I know that this isn't what this study is for, but I can say that this is what this study is for because the study was peer-reviewed, so no one's going to challenge that um, and just kind of report the results differently. And also, science journalism is really difficult. The, actually, the first real journalism story I ever did out of high school was a story on vaccines and does it you know with uh, the connection with autism. And I spent three weeks re- just researching. And you come across so many different studies and so many different surveys and so many different numbers that counter, like, counteract each other. When I was writing my article, I had a really hard time because you want to get everything right, but this doctor says that. That doctor says the other thing. And at the time, to me, it was just the biggest pain in the butt ever. But you know, thinking back on it, it's like how many of these journalists are just picking and choosing what surveys totally. they would want? Yeah. And the, the article I wrote, honestly, to this point, you know, I know you're supposed to get better. I think it might be the best journalistic piece I ever wrote because I put so much time and effort into researching, not even writing the story, just researching and getting my facts right, calling doctors from around the country and asking them what they thought. And, you know, at the end of the day, the story was it was a, I thought it was a good story. It, I mean, the truth is it didn't really say much about if you get autism or not. I basically just took every piece of information ever and just put it out on the page and, you know, basically put some analysis with it. And it it was really hard. And so whenever I see a science piece online that's, like, outside of a NASA press release, it makes me wonder, like, well... Is this really it? Well, and I I don't want to harp on this story too long, but I also think that this is a reflection of a bigger thing in journalism, that beat reporters don't exist anymore. Beat reporting used to be a very credible and, uh, you know, common thing that a news agency would have beat reporters who know a lot about a topic. You'd have the crime beat. They know a lot about the laws. You'd have a medical beat that would, they would know about the medical science. That doesn't exist anymore. People can't have those people on their staff for newspapers anymore so you're going to run into this this is just the reality of not having journalists who are experts in what they're reporting well in my uh tv i don't remember what the class was called in my tv maybe tv reporting class it was tom mustin's class i don't remember what it was uh cbs anchor tom mustin came up and it was t writing for tv and radio was the class course name um and he said point blank on one of the first days of class that you might end up covering something that you don't care about. And that's what the hardest thing about being a journalist is, because maybe you're really passionate about politics, but if you know, you're know you looking for a job and you can only find a job in 
reporting entertainment, you're going to report entertainment, and you might not know anything. And usually, the example I just get is, is actually that was backwards. Usually, it's people that want to be reporting entertainment, and they get put in politics. And it's like Liam said, you know, there's no such thing as a beat reporter anymore. I mean, there in local newspapers, there is. I mean, you know, for the Daily Camera, you have Sarah Cuda, who's the CUB. You have Mitchell Byers, who does the local crime beat. And, you know, that's, that's nice. But outside of, like, local... Uh, publications like that you just it's an all-in-one you know you have one guy do it all yeah that, definitely um, not to the same extent too as and far then, as having yeah reporting. and it costs a lot to have medical i mean science reporters cost the most because that expertise whereas you can with well a lot of the reason why people aren't doing crime and city hall beats anymore is just the cost because the amount of time it takes for people and the networking and things like that but um with science, yeah, you need someone basically who has dual degrees or, I mean, has a science degree and is willing to do journalism. And as we've kind of seen with, with um, graduating um, numbers, the income for being straight science is a lot more than journalism, so it's hard to convince those people to come over. Whereas with, with some most crime beats and things like that, you can actually groom someone with a, journalis- with a pure journalism background to do that. Um, science is just something that people, uh, a lot of news organizations have turned their back on. The yeah. ones that do have anyone involved, like the Sanjay Guptas and stuff like that, they're either questionable or they... Um, they just have them because there's such a large organization that why not? And it doesn't seem like real science reporting. It sounds like it's just yeah. fluff at the end of the hour, you know, like with marijuana, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, if I see Gupta talk about marijuana one more time, I'm going to throw my computer TV out the window. <laughs> he will. He really will. <laughs> um, the silver lining for today. Here's a good story. Um, Anheuser-Busch halted their beer production to help provide water for the victims of the Texas and Oklahoma storms. Uh, beer giant Anheuser-Busch, who has a plant here in Colorado, stopped production at its Georgia brewery this week to instead produce drinking water for those affected by a deadly bout of historic flooding and storms in both the state of Texas and Oklahoma. Anheuser-Busch said it had stopped beer production at its Casterville brewery in Georgia late Wednesday to produce 50,000 cans of water for the American Red Cross. Uh, brewery manager Rob Haas told NBC News, right now our production line is running emergency drinking water instead of beer. The uh, Cartersville Brewery produces cans of emergency relief water a few times a year, said Haas, partnering with the American Red Cross to provide a place in what places in need in the United States. Uh, he says it's something that we're uniquely positioned to do in a very timely period. About 2,000 cases, uh, each carrying 24 cans, are now en route to communities in Texas and Oklahoma, and the water is expected to reach those areas within the next few days. Uh, really cool. I mean, it's not something I ever thought of. It's like, oh, how easily could a beer company just put out water? Really easy. Yeah. And it's good water, too. Yeah, and I mean, well, one, just as a side note, um, cans of water are much more environmentally friendly than bottles of water. So... Um, it's good. They kind of, I mean, that's what they have. They, that's what materials they have. But, um, and then um, also, I guess a couple of weeks ago, um, I think it was Nestle, they have a water plant in California. And to kind of see this back and forth where Anheuser Bush, it's a, it's a different situation where, like, they wouldn't receive that much negative press if they continue to produce beer because it's not like they're using a resource although people need water and people didn't know that they turn these plants into 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 emergency water plants so um they could have gotten away with it where nestle turning their back where i mean they're just they're just putting tap water in a bottle 
and to say we're, we need to continue to produ continue to produce this instead of provide or provide water to the rest of the state, I think is an inter interesting juxtaposition in, in the last couple of weeks. Because it would be so much easier for Nestle just to do it. Yeah. All you got to do is continue your things, and instead of charging for it, you just send it. Yeah. Yeah. Or just stop the plan and just have all the other plants open and just save the water for the people in that. Yeah. I forget which town it was in, but. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, we, we don't tend to recognize corporations when they do something that's kind of classy and um, just a good thing to do. Obviously, there's a PR boost from it, but it's deserved. I mean, they're helping yeah. people who yeah. need it. You know, if the next six-pack I go buy, it's going to be Anheuser-Busch. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, they say in a capitalist society, you're voting with your money. I'm voting for Anheuser-Busch. Like, yeah. that's really cool. Um, I understand that it's not best for business maybe for every brewery um but i would hope that you know in the state of colorado something like that happened there's so many microbreweries here and um you know you have the course plant golden you have anheuser-busch in colorado springs are they in colorado or are they in fort collins where are they the anheuser-busch one yeah where is anheuser-busch i think it's yeah. colorado Springs. Oh, the budweiser event it's center south, is what's in yeah, yeah, yeah it's south it's down by the air force academy um yeah i would hope they would do something like that because that's really cool and the truth is now i don't know that much about brewing I'm not the brewing beat reporter, but I'm sure it'd be pretty easy just to go to water. Yeah, I mean, they already have to use an incredible amount of water to produce their product. So uh, they have the water there. And like like uh, the person said in the article, they were in a, they were in a position to where it was very easy to make the switch. So they did it. Yeah. I mean, that and the thing is, um, like they said, the, the Georgia plant does it all the time for hurricanes. And so... It's it, this isn't them doing something for PR. It's someone picking up the story and and telling it because I mean it's something they've done at other plants. They just never had to do it at, at this plant in, in in Texas. And so, um, yeah, it's just I mean it's it's good for them. That's something they kind of do already for the community. That's so easy for them that they're getting attention for because it's it's well deserved. 7.30 on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. Let's jump over to sports. An exciting time of year for sports. Um, if you're a hockey fan, boy, you're in luck because two game sevens, one going on uh, right now between Tampa Bay and the New York Rangers, and then tomorrow it'll be the Chicago Blackhawks and the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Um, for whatever reason, I'm having a hard time pulling up the score right now. Of the Rangers-Lightning game, it is uh, still 0-0 with 8:14 in the second period. I can't even pull it up. Well, that'll be a slobber knocker of a game. So put on NBCSN. I believe Doc Emmerich's calling that game. So um it's in the, the Rangers are like undefeated in game 7 or yeah. something. Yeah. Henrik Henrik Lundqvist is 10 and 0 yeah. in elimination games. It's That's just like 0.97 goals against or something like yeah. that. It's just <laughs> I think he doesn't he doesn't I'm not a huge hockey guy, but I've been watching the Rangers this year and I think he does not get the recognition that he even though he's like, you know, seen as one of the better players, he's just because he's a goalie and not scoring the goals, um, he's not put in this position to be put into these this upper echelon of hockey players. What he's done, it's really incredible. Like watch watch this game. They're probably gonna win, so you're gonna see him in the Stanley Cup because he's Ooh. 10 and 0. Is I mean, that a, is that your prediction? It's gotta be it's gotta be. If they're home ten and O in elimination games, it's kind of uh, I mean, I would not like to be a Lightning fan tonight. Do you know who would be the most excited about New York winning? 
the NHL and NBC Sports because oh, the yeah. prospects of having an Anaheim Ducks Tampa Bay Lightning final, which was looked like it was going to be that, yeah. was absolutely terrifying. That you were going to have two small market teams as opposed to Chicago and New York would have been two huge marketable games, and that would have been. I mean, that those ratings will go through the roof if it's Chicago and New York. It may be one of the best rated series of all time. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, I think I mean. I think they they just are really concerned about Tampa Bay getting in because I think they would have been okay with Anaheim. It's just because the the name is is it's California, big, yeah, and then the mighty. I mean, the Ducks like people still associate them with Mighty Ducks, and so it does. I mean, it's the same thing with like the Orlando Magic, or whatever. But yeah, I mean Chicago, Chicago Rangers. I mean the basically any of the original six plus. Plus, like Philly and, and Capitals and a couple other teams. Yeah. Any Canadian team um, is what they're looking for. So, uh, as Liam just highlighted, uh, with under seven to go in the second period, we're scoreless at zero. And the game is in New York at Madison Square Garden. Um, that, I mean, if you're a sports fan, even if you're not a hockey fan, game seven of an NHL series is always. And this is a go to the Stanley Cup finals. That is yeah. as big as it gets. So, um, I'm assuming. So, we got a New York Rangers from Liam. Jared, who do you got? Um. I gotta go Rangers. It's just, I mean, they have everything going for them, and um, and I mean, if anyone's gonna beat them, it's gonna be, um, yeah, gonna beat them. It's gonna be Tampa Bay. But I just, um, I honestly, in a game like this, if they're if they don't score first in the first period, then I think, I mean, the Rangers, it's really in like what they're playing for. I agree. I think if Tampa Bay scores first, they win. It is scoreless still right now, late in the second period. Uh, if the Rangers get on the board first, though, Madison Square Gardens are going to lose their mind. And oh. it's electric. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched the last series up in uh, Steamboat with a bunch of Rangers fans, and they just told me about how they lose hair in the playoffs every year because it's just the way that the Rangers play, they let people shoot on Lundquist. And it's just yeah. so terrifying as as a Rangers fan to watch any of the games. People are screaming at their TVs because they're like, why are you letting them shoot on Lundquist? Everyone looks like it's going to go in, and it doesn't. And they're not a terribly good offensive team either. So it's really it's all about Lundquist. I was actually watching the uh, game six between Tampa Bay and New York at the Dark Horse. Uh, I guess that was Thursday. No, it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. Yep. There were so many Rangers fans there. It made me so angry because, first of all, not a New York sports fan. Okay, family's from Boston, so I hate uh, everything in New York. Second of all, it's like, come on, Tampa, come on, small market. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I don't know. I heart says Tampa, head says New York Rangers. Uh, other side will be Chicago and Anaheim game seven. And as much as it pains me to say, it'll be Chicago. It looked like maybe Chicago had finally run out of luck. After I mean, the last five, six years, it's been all Chicago. It's been Chicago and Los Angeles taking turns. And, you know, it's Chicago's turn this year. They're, I mean, game seven. They've got the players. They've been there. They've got the talent. It's, it's going to be Chicago. And I hate to say that. Oh. <laughs> I wanted a, I want Anaheim. They oh they get so close. They had their cup in 2007 um, with uh, former Avalanche uh, player John Sebastian Shagir. But from that point, it's been it's been so much California hockey with just the Kings that teams like San Jose and Anaheim just don't get the rub and the credit they deserve. But that game will be tomorrow, six o'clock here. 
right now again you can turn on the lightning and the rangers but don't turn it on just yet because this program's still going on uh before we wrap up though one more subject for the night uh the nba finals are set it'll be the golden state warriors and the cleveland cavaliers uh that's gonna be a great nba finals i mean the storyline of steph curry versus lebron james is really the most excited i've been for an nba finals in a long time um it was fun having the spurs in the mix you know the old school spurs versus the upstart miami heat but this feels like just so exciting it feels modern basketball it's too um i mean it does highlight what's wrong with the nba you have three good players and you're set you don't have to worry about team basketball you could have LeBron. well no i mean the warriors are 10 deep yeah i mean yeah. they're well though no, with yeah with cleveland. most of the western teams were going eight or nine deep whereas the, the east teams were th- three and four deep and um and so i mean i don't know i'm i don't think it's as close as people are th- are making it out to be, I think. But you, you think that they're just gonna Golden State's gonna blow them out of the water? Oh yeah. I mean, okay. So you're you're talking about the three deep there. I don't think Cleveland is really three deep because yeah, they don't not. have Kevin Love. They're really and two they don't deep. have Irving either. I mean, he's he's gonna be maybe eighty percent for the finals. He's gonna have a week, and there is a slight chance that Clay Thompson's actually not gonna be able to play in the first couple games because he that was, was a brutal concussion. Knocked. Silly. Yeah, he'll yeah. he'll play. I yeah. mean, he'll. I mean, knowing how yeah. the Warriors have been operating that team, especially with concussions, yeah. yes, he'll probably yeah. play. But who knows if he'll be able to play well. Um, but I mean, they don't need him. I mean, they honestly don't. I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, but definitely, definitely a more deep team for sure. Uh, but I do think it's close because you you talk about LeBron James. This is definitely the most important year of his career and the most impressive year as well. He's doing it without. Uh, he's doing it with his own team, which was never the case in Miami. Miami is Dwayne Wade's team. It doesn't matter. It could have been Michael Jordan going there. You know, Dwayne, that's Dwayne Wade's team. He got them a championship before LeBron. Uh, you know, that was never his territory. LeBron talks about Miami as if it was college for him because he spent the four years there, and now he's going back home. Uh, but it's going to be— That's really interesting. Yeah, and you think about it, and he did it as a young man, too. People—I mean, I, I burned a jersey. My grandma's from Cleveland. I had to. Did but you really? <laughs> yeah, I was actually in Cleveland when he left. It was That's awesome. terrifying. Wow. But, <laughs> but no, I think it's going to be good. I mean, LeBron James is the first player since the 1960, since 1963 to go to five straight NBA Finals and be an All-Star for five years. The last one was uh, Bob Cousy. Oh, the Celtics. The Celtics, out of that Celtics run. Uh, you know, he's doing something that's – once in a generation and i think that could result in a, in a title for cleveland uh um you have i mean it's just you have the mvp and a team that's 10 deep versus a team with about one and a half players and i mean the amount of players they can throw out lebron and still i mean the atlanta's biggest issue wasn't necessarily lebron it was scoring because mm-hmm. they lost I mean, Teague was was dealing with injuries. Um, obviously, Corver went out. Um, Carroll wasn't the same after that knee injury. Um, whereas the <clears throat> excuse me, the Warriors. I mean, they can throw Iguodala at him, and when Thompson's healthy, they can throw him at him. Um, they'll probably do switches where they can actually put Green on him for a short amount mm-hmm. of time. Just so I mean, just the amount the Warriors can do, and the fact that. I mean, they were. I think they were second in defense and top, and, and second in offense, or somewhere around there. Um, I think the Rockets were top in in offensive efficiency, and I, I forget who was. But I mean, they 
they're just not I mean we see how well Cleveland played in the east but looking at how I mean I mean if if Paul Gasol didn't get injured the Bulls would have won that series um if the entire Atlanta team didn't get injured and one of their players wasn't out on police brutality Atlanta probably would have won that series so I just don't I, I just can't see I mean this is um I mean this is pre-Miami LeBron all over again. This is the same exact situation he was in. He's, he's with um, an inexperienced coach. He has, um, if Irving was healthy, it would be a completely different story. But, he, I mean, he's just not going to be 100% for that series. Whereas, worst case scenario for the Warriors, um, one of their starters might miss a game or two. And it's a starter that they can, they have two or three starters on the bench that can replace him. So I just don't see the Cavs competing. Maybe they steal a game, but I, I if I if I had to make a prediction, it's for a Warriors. They're not winning on the road. I'll tell you that. The Cleveland will not win a game. At Ooh, this is going to be interesting. I think we're going to have some pretty genuine debate about this. I think that again, Cleveland. <sighs> Cleveland highlights everything I hate about the NBA. You can have one good player and make it to the NBA Finals. Kevin Love was a non-factor all year. Kyrie Irving, he was good. He was very good. There was actually some heated debate internally about can we have Kyrie and LeBron on the same team? Can you have two egos on the same team? And um, you know, if you look to the past of the NBA, we'll take a local example. Like Allen Iverson and Carmelo Anthony did not work. Right. You cannot have two egos on the same team. And it's funny because you look at the depth chart for Cleveland. Um, I mean, yeah, they got J.R. Smith, but aside from J.R., they've got a lot of guys that I don't even know would be playing on a lot of NBA. I mean, you have Sean Marion, who's just like, what? Yeah, he's, Sean yeah he doesn't even play. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, you have Timothy Mozgov, a former Nugget. playing really well. Who, yeah, yeah, deserves it. Rim protector. But Love Timothy. But I think Bogut kind of I mean, oh, Bogut much better. Score. They do different things, yeah. but I'm saying they kind of cancel each other out. Yeah, that the definitely. advantage you would ha- that they had with Mozgov in the Atlanta series is kind of canceled out with, and even with Azili too, who's been playing well. You know how funny it is that Sean Marin and Sean Livingston are going to be in an NBA Finals against each other. <laughs> it's like ten years too late, but yeah. oh, Sean Marin and Sean Livingston. I love Sean Livingston. He's got terrible facial hair, but <laughs> love that he's getting a shot um, that he might get a ring. Um, I've got. I think I'm going to have Golden State in six. In six. I'm going to take Cleveland in seven. I think it's going seven. Jared? I think Warriors in four. Wow. I think I think LeBron can steal one game. Probably. I mean, I don't, but I I, I, I still think, I mean, that's, I think they're going to sweep them. I, I just think LeBron is going to have some type of crazy series. It's not going to matter because you have the greatest shooter in NBA history. He's coming off an MVP season. Um, you have probably the top five another top five three-point shooter and it's just they defensively people just don't give them enough credit they play so fast that the score goes up higher than expected but St- Stephon Curry only played 32 minutes a game during the regular season because they're so good because he didn't have to play in the fourth quarter and so I mean I think with the Rockets they hit something in in kind of that their size, the fact that they have not not in any way to compare them to LeBron, but they have that kind of a lot of those prototypical now NBA players that are six nine can do kind of multiple things. And I do think that's if you have multiple type of those players, that's where the Warrior you can get get the Warriors caught up. But we saw that the Rockets can only win one game with that. Whereas LeBron is obviously better than any of those players but I don't even think he's enough right now to even steal a, 
steal one game. I mean, I, I just I think you're. It, this is again, this is kind of the situation he found himself in before he went to Miami. I think this. I think LeBron needs this championship. Like he has so much pressure on himself. Right? He needs this to cement his legacy, to not be putting in the history books as a guy that took advantage of the free agency. Uh, market to go win an NBA championship because the biggest thing everyone said while he was in Miami and I think a reason why he left is Bird never went to go join Magic Mm. Michael never joined up with Reggie Miller yeah, you know? it wouldn't be the same even if Kevin Love was playing. Yeah, this is a different. It's a different championship for LeBron if he if he somehow pulls it out. But I mean, I think just my my last point on this, the last thing that gives me um, confidence in Cleveland is you just look at the last series. I mean, Golden State beat the Rockets, but the Rockets played terribly. Harden had a record of turnovers in that last game. It was god-awful. Yeah, but I mean, Harden played well the other games, and yes. they beat them three out of four. That That's definitely true, but you look I mean, Golden State's still turning the ball over. Yes, they can get on those three-point shooting runs, and but they're not the offensive team. that They're, they're a lot of... Uh, I don't know. They're they're not the offensive force that you see. They're definitely the defensive force, though. I mean, I think the X factor is definitely going to be Draymond Green. Uh, he's been he's really come on and yeah, has been tearing them up. I mean, just this is this is the weakest team the Warriors have to face in the playoffs. I mean, and Agreed. and that's including the Pelicans. I mean, this this is not. I mean. LeBron is great, but there, I mean, it's just mind boggling. Like, people, the East is so, so weak that, that I mean, it, it was, it was the fact that basically three or four star players on all the teams got injured that the Cavs were able to make it through. And I just, I don't think this is this, his year. And not only that, but I think in the panic of wanting to win a championship in Cleveland so badly, he calls himself the dynasty by by pushing for that love trade, by um, pushing to make a, probably a couple signings that they probably should have made. And if he, I mean, if he had Wiggins in those draft picks, mm-hmm. um, one, I think he, he would have a championship this year, and two, um, he would have a dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, I don't. I mean, I think he's looking at another sweep in the finals, and I think that. Um, there's going to be a lot of long-term questions. I mean, obviously, with Love leaving, there's already going to be. But he's gone. Um, I think in general, there's a lot of long-term questions in Cleveland in terms of how do you deal with LeBron and also kind of understand long-term what you need to do as a team to continue success without kind of these one-off teams. And obviously, Irving is more than he's ever going to have before, but it's just very unfortunate that he got injured at the wrong time. 747 on Radio 1190 KVCU Bowler. Uh, Jared, real quickly, let's do a pro wrestling segment. Okay. On Sunday, it's uh, WWE Elimination Chamber. Um, it's the second WWE pay-per-view within the month, within two weeks. But it's not actually a pay-per-view. It's, it's not available on pay-per-view. It's only available on the network, which is... That is true. They're going to continue to do stuff like that. I mean, like King, of the Ring. King Ring and that's some of that, obviously NXT in general, but... NXT is so cool. Um, I guess the for the first time ever, they're going to try and do a tag team match inside the Elimination Chamber, which... I'm not sold on. I think it could be a disaster. It's just too many bodies, too many yeah. things going on. It's it's going to be just confusing. Um, second, they'll have the Intercontinental Championship contested in the Elimination Chamber, which I do love. Don't love the contestants. 
but I think the concept of having um, the Intercontinental Championship uh, defended in the Elimination Chamber is going to be really cool. And then the match that I'm excited for most is John Cena versus Kevin Owens. And is that a title match? It's a non-title match, Jared? No, it's a title match. Is it for, okay, it's for Cena's United States Championship. Yeah, which obviously, I mean, I I don't know what, I I haven't read enough kind of spoilers or rumors yet, but obviously Owens would lose, not lose, but he would vacate the NXT Championship if he won the U.S. Championship. It really bothers me because if you make it, okay, so as a title match in WWE, um, you know that Cena's winning. Cena's not going to drop to Kevin Owens. He's not going to drop the United States Championship to a guy who's on NXT. It just it doesn't make sense for booking. It doesn't make sense for TV. It doesn't make sense for storylines. It just doesn't make sense, period. And that's never stopped WWE before from doing anything. But... To me, it's like it suspends like the belief of we're in the reality era of pro wrestling where you're trying to, you know, it's they're trying to make pro wrestling as real as possible, which I that's cool. I understand. I know that you can't have Doink the Clown running around and, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage. Like, I get that. Uh, you know, Twitter exists. But you can't. I wish they would just make it a non title match so that I could at least pretend that maybe Kevin Owens is going to beat Cena. Because the way it works is that he's, he's powerbombed Cena twice on Raw. Cena hasn't gotten any offense. So you know that the way they're going to tell the story is it's going to be Kevin Owens is just dominating John Cena. Here's the future. But Cena will get out some you know, cheapy victory. And I hate it. Because I mean, the thing about pro wrestling is you want to suspend disbelief, you want to see entertainment. But when you know for a fact that. John Cena's winning that match. It's kind of like the same thing at the last pay-per-view. It's Rusev and Cena, but you know oh, Cena. Actually, no, I'm, I was mistaken. It's not for the oh, US it's Championship. Not. Okay, no, well then I'm I excited. It's just a singles match. I thought, I, I yeah, I thought when I saw that episode that it was it was still the open invitation, but it's just going to be a singles match. Okay, well that's really exciting then. Yeah. Because I you could actually win and then continue that story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well then that changes everything I just said. But yeah, I apologize for the misinformation. That's okay. Um, but I don't believe Bo Dallas is getting a match. Yeah, he and Ziggler? Or sorry, he and Neville? Neville, yeah. It's just, I, we talked about him at the at the event. It's just... He's the worst yeah, character. But, it's, uh, well... Yeah, sorry to take you off track with oh. both inform- misinformation and... That's okay. It's, a different it's, match. It's pro wrestling, so at this point in the program, the people have turned off. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um... But, I mean, I just think – I think it's just interesting just the influence of NXT in general in terms of – I mean, we talked about this before. I think when Jason was in um, – was it Jason or was it um, the other episode? Um, Zach? I think yeah. it was Zach. I think it was Zach. We're talking about um, obviously McMahon, like a certain type of wrestler, these kind of inhuman giants. But the popularity of NXT and I think Triple H involvement in that and the kind of – the increased amount of people you, you can't ignore these wrestlers so we're seeing these the neville which he i mean even though he's he's ripped he's what five nine maybe five eight he's my size yeah he's little and and kevin owens is not the prototypical body type he's kind of more the throwback to the 80s wrestler so um yeah it's kind of an exciting time and, and seeing these guys on um on the card for these events um i think is kind of ushering a new time in terms of of what the kind of skill wrestlers we're getting and, and guys who are really good on both the mic as and as wrestlers who may not have the pure body type but entertain in every other way. Yeah, I think pro wrestling is going to change over the next five, six years with NXT because they're really developed. So, okay, so NXT went from they tried to make it the third brand 
to it, it was gone actually for it was briefly just discontinued and then they brought it it was you know it's like did nxt start as like the tough enough show yeah and then it was turned into a legitimate wrestling it, no, show it was what was it um it was a different company before it had a um it wasn't ohio valley um it was um maybe florida fcw yeah um because it's 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 originally centered in in florida um or it, i mean it's it's headquarters yeah it's fcw and then they changed the name they changed the name and and heightened the profile okay nxt is incredible right now yeah did you watch takeover on wednesday yeah i did it awesome yeah it was yeah. so cool yeah i'm really high on finn balor by the way my gosh he yeah. is awesome um and then of course the main event of the it's not a pay-per-view it's just like a network special is it's literally uh, free because it's free the month of may if you're yeah. a new customer so so they're gonna put on a good show hopefully yeah. uh dean ambrose and seth rollins do not understand why all of a sudden ambrose is getting this huge push i mean he deserves my it favorite. yeah he's he's my favorite wrestler right now so i'm, I'm like because all of a sudden we're seeing him in a house show and now he's fighting for the for the championship it's so weird he yeah. was headlining the b tour yeah for house shows and now he's he's wrestling in the main event and they tried to basically stone cold steve austin yeah him on, that was cool yeah that was yeah. all right with, i smiled I was like, <laughs> yeah. um it's just it's like it's really it's a head scratcher yeah it's like do they not i mean what, what happened is randy orton injured like it was seth rollins it looked like it was be rollins orton it made sense but then again it's wwe and you, and you don't know when i mean and in a weird way this is what i kind of uh, one of the things i like about wwe like you don't know when people have off like in their contract and stuff like that so um it becomes an opportunity for some of these guys to get the the exposure some uh, especially a guy like dean ambrose who deserves it to actually get a chance and and it might be it might not be in the storyline now but if people really respond to him in the next few weeks then all of a sudden we might be seeing a lot more of him in, in this whole championship especially the fact that he has an automatic storyline with rollins and with with reigns and, and kind of with the authority that it's it's, it's easy to work him into that and uh, curiously enough, Roman Reigns is not listed for the pay-per-view, which is, okay, I guess we know who's going to be interfering in the championship match. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And, um, and yeah, but, it, like, uh, like you said, I think the Intercontinental match is the big one for this. Yeah, this I think event. it's going to be Sheamus. I really? think Sheamus will win it. Um, it's going to be it's Sheamus, Ryback, R-Truth, King Barrett, Rusev, and Ziggler. They're not going to put it on our truth. He's a. Th Why can't they throw Neville in this match yeah, and let him show true. off? Don't put him in a throwaway match with Bo Dallas. Okay, Sheamus, who his character I hate. Um, I. Oh yeah, I, especially since he's come back. It's just. Did you yeah. read why he has this new look? He's going to be starring in the uh, oh, sequel okay. to uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That makes a lot of as sense. As the villain. Yeah. So that's why he got this dumb haircut. Um, I would love Dolph Ziggler to get a push, so I'm hoping he doesn't win the Intercontinental Championship so that he can get a push here soon. Um, but going back real quickly to the WWE World Championship match, do you think anyone would take Dean Ambrose seriously as champion? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, only for a short amount of time. Like, I think he, he reminds me a lot of kind of that late 90s Kane where like people aren't totally sure about if he can carry um, like an entire company 
um, for a long stretch of time, but I think he works well like as someone to change up the championship rotation for a couple weeks and he'll he'll hold it between pay-per-views and so I mean I I think as of now he's not a guy like I mean as we've had in the past with like Cena and and even Lesnar and stuff like that where um you can kind of have him hold on to that championship for a long time but I th- I think it would it would do them well to kind of change things up and have him be championship for kind of short stretches of time to yeah. to break up the kind of the two or three people that have had the championship the last few months. And speaking of Lesnar, he's set to come back in the end of June, so it's kind of like who they're going to feed to Lesnar at SummerSlam or yeah. Battleground or whatever it is. Yeah. And, y- espe- yeah, and especially with the weird, like, what's going on with the Ambrose Reigns kind of, I don't know, I mean, not friendship, but they kind of have the alliance. Um, like, how is that going to work with everything and who's going to turn when and 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 all that good stuff that they're preparing for for i assume uh survivor series or or what, what, what's i'm sorry what's a summer summer slam summer slam battleground. yeah 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 so i mean really summer slam battleground is kind of another one of these middle pay-per-views and thinking ahead to wrestlemania 32 it's going to be in uh in dallas at that giant stadium they're going to try and set every attendance record yeah. ever uh, i read an article that says that dwayne johnson aka the rock is expected to have a match oh yeah I mean, I thought everyone knew that. Yeah. Well, I he you know he brushed it aside. Cause yeah. But now he's now he's done with San it's Andreas. It's gonna be Triple H him. Like you think it's gonna be him and Triple H? Yeah. I, don't, I think it might be he and Lesnar. I don't think they're gonna. They would have him fight Lesnar. I I just think it, it doesn't it doesn't work for either of them. For especially if Lesnar's holding the championship, I think one you you can easily take the way this invincibility kind of factor the Rock has, especially when you're trying to do the cross promotions between movies and and wrestling and um and if you i mean and you can't you almost can't have lesnar lose straight up so um i and i just the way they fed it i mean they they fully expected ronda rousey to be a part of wrestlemania 32 and now dana white's pulling back from that so i think they'll probably continue with the whole triple h rock and maybe even get sting involved and do i think it'll be sting else. undertaker uh, They're actually, both from Texas. Sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Sting yeah. Undertaker. Yeah. I always uh, forget about The Undertaker floating around, too. Random, random note about Sting. Um, a, a guy I met in Los Angeles while working, his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend's father is Sting. Oh, uh, that's... And he is the weirdest guy ever, apparently. <laughs> I was like, can you get me in contact? She's like, that's kind of awkward for my girlfriend. I was like, I don't care. It's Sting. <laughs> she goes, you, you, you know the guy that paints his face white? You're, you're talking about the same guy? He's like, yeah, that's yeah. Sting. She's like, okay. So, I don't, I've also read, I, this, I really don't think this will happen, but I read a rumor that Shawn Michaels might have a match. And if Shawn Michaels is at WrestleMania 32, that would be unbelievable. I think he'll be there. I just... Don't I can't imagine him going through a full match. I just I don't think he's physically able, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I I think he can. well. Ric Flair claims that he could still have a match, and he says the only reason why WWE won't let Flair have a match on TV is because they're afraid he'll steal the show every time he has a match. It's like Flair. No, it's just it's it makes everyone feel awkward when you can't physically do. And it's fun. I was watching um and uh, this I'll. I'll give it two thumbs down but i was watching fox fox catcher last night and um and that like that was part of the storyline how awkward it is to watch this like 
I forget how old John DuPont was at that point, but like 65 year old man wrestle and like try to rediscover his, and like that's what it feels like. And no matter like how good shape Ric Flair is, he's still, he's, it's, it's still awkward to see him move around and stuff because he has 30, 40 years of wrestling in his knees and in his back. And so he takes a suplex, he's going to die. Yeah. Uh, it is 8 o'clock, real quick note. Destination America got rid of TNA because they have Ring of Honor now. Yeah, yeah, Woo! I was very excited to see that. I, I figured that was going to be the next move. I just didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. No. But they didn't care. They just they were not happy with, with what TNA was giving them. So It's garbage. Yeah, it is. It's all on demand, and yeah. I actually went and watched some of it, and it's not good. So. No. Well, that's the end of our two-hour edition of News Underground. This was a good episode. Liam, we got to get this up on iTunes, like, tonight. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, this is Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. We're going to step aside. Uh, coming up at the 9 o'clock hour is Climb Talk Radio. So until then, uh, we'll have some tracks for you. We'll start off the set list with Wilco, the track I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. You're tuned in to Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder with Jared Roush and Leon Comer. I'm Joe Paris. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, though, and have a great weekend. Make sure to download our app. And uh, we got big things in the work. Liam and I had a big old meeting with the boss today, and so we've got some cool things coming. Yeah, and actually right now, if you go to iTunes, you can see all of our in-studio sessions that I do the production on. Uh, just search Radio 1190. There's, like, the my top six are on there. So go download that, comment it on it, rate it. Uh, it really helps it be seen um, by other people. These first, like, 48 hours are super crucial. I've already I've already gone through and downloaded it. So All right. There you go. Radio 1190, KVC, Water, the AM Revolution. Have a great weekend, Boulder. Make good choices.